0: check out guardianvets.com now.
1: Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. We're going to hit our sponsors here in just a second, then jump into the episode. But before we do, make sure you stick around throughout the end of the interview and check out the show notes for great opportunities for associateships, partnerships, and more. If you're a practice owner, you want to find great people, and you want to list a job opportunity or just looking for certain things that your peers out there that are veterinarians could benefit from. Feel free to shoot me an email, isaiah at veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. I will do my best to get those up at the end of different episodes. There's no charge for that. My role, my job is to connect good people with good people. So with that, we will hit our sponsors and be right into the interview.
0: Check out guardianvets.com now.
1: Why do most banks always seem to be impersonal, slow to answer questions, or give you the runaround on getting money needed for your dreams? Enter Panacea Financial. Panacea Financial, a nationwide digital bank built for doctors by doctors. Whether you're a veterinarian in training, practice owner, or aspire to be one, someday... Panacea Financial is designed specifically for you. It was started by two doctors who were frustrated in working with banks and so started their own to serve their community. With common sense lending guidelines and fast decisioning, they've helped doctors all across the country start, grow, and acquire their dream practice. Looking to buy into a practice, Panacea helps doctors with practice buy-in loans that are funded in a matter of days, not weeks, or months. If you're ready to join the thousands of doctors nationwide who have declared independence from traditional banks, visit panaceafinancial.com today to see how they can get you started With your dreams. Panacea Financial is a division of premise, member FDIC. Have you ever walked into a space and thought, wow, this is beautiful? There's a reason for that. Architecture has this innate ability to impact emotions and perceptions. My friends at Apex Design Build bring beautiful and functional spaces for veterinarians nationwide. Apex is a fourth generation family-run company that is fully integrated from the design, architecture, and construction process to help you mitigate risks, eliminate surprises, save money, save time, and reduce the effort on your project. Check out their amazing work and have access to their square footage calculator to help you plan your expansion or new build. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer and learn more about Apex Design Build. Finding a job or finding a veterinarian shouldn't be a waste of time. Enter an offer first. Paul Diaz and team have created something really special with offer first. Some of my favorite reasons are as follows. Candidates and employers will both have values aligned on the first step, not the last. The sign-up process, quick and simple, no resume required. So if you're looking for a job, but you aren't really sure, it's as easy as scrolling on Zillow for a home. And finally, if you have a great match, it's based on your each unique requirements, not random keywords. If you want to learn more, listen to episode 179 with Paul Diaz. We cover all of that. The other exclusive great thing that you're going to get from this ad read and from Paul, is I convinced him to give an exclusive discount to listeners of this podcast, So for owners, you're getting a 20% discount on both the placement of any candidate, but also access to the platform. Use VSP if you go to offer first, or the easiest way is a link in the show notes. So check it out. Associates, those looking for a job, same thing. Use the link in the show notes, use VSP if you go directly to offer first, but I will donate and Paul will donate to a veterinary nonprofit of your choosing. So each person that signs up gets a vote. Your votes actually count, which is incredible. And so I'll be reaching out. I will handle that. But there's going to be a donation made for any associate or any job seeker that adds on the platform. We want to make sure that not only does the platform help to make sure that you find a better fit, better culture, better role, but it's also doing good in veterinary medicine. Okay. So link in the show notes is going to take you to Offer First. It's going to automatically apply that, but also use code VSP if you go to Offer First directly. And offer first is changing the game of veterinary recruiting. I want each and every one of you to benefit from it. So check them out today. Today I am joined by Dr. Jennifer Kasten, who is a professional services veterinarian at DECRA Pharmaceuticals. Jenna's worked within the animal health industry for almost a decade. And her journey to her industry role has been one that's been unique and definitely not an easy one. And we'll get into some of that a little bit here in a bit. And finally, also super passionate about her role within vet med and especially industry roles. And she is a part of the American Association of Industry Veterinarians. Jen, thanks so much for joining me.
2: Thanks for having me, Isaiah.
1: So I think the natural place to start is for those that don't know you, let's lay the foundation of why veterinary medicine and then kind of from that origin through now with what you're doing and how you ended up here. And you can take that as detailed as you want and I can like parse things out, but take it away. Well,
2: great. Well, unlike a lot of veterinarians, I think I'm one of the the few that didn't know I wanted to be a veterinarian from birth. I actually was working for some lawyers in Washington, D.C. after my undergraduate work in history of all things, when I decided to make the move to veterinary medicine. I'd always grown up around horses, was very competitive in the equestrian space. And kind of as I learned about referral practice medicine, became quite interested in that and saw veterinarian medicine as a path. I come from a family of physicians, so that whole concept of medicine was not foreign. I tried to be the first not to and found my way just to a different slice of medicine. So I uh, ended up doing some bonus undergrad before completing my DVM at Ohio State. But with that interest always in referral practice medicine, I sort of started with a, a focus on emergency critical care initially with horses, but then That kind of migrated into dogs and cats that then got me to an IVEX conference uh, during my second year of vet school. And that's when I stumbled across the anesthesia programming. The ACVAA was meeting at IVEX at that time, and I sort of wandered into some of the anesthesia sessions, and then I found my people, as it were. And the rest was history uh, coming off of an interest in pulmonary physiology earlier that second year of vet school. That plus anesthesia, I was like, ah, we've, I thought I wanted to be a surgeon, but really anesthesia is where it's at. So that became my clinical focus until what ultimately became my second year of residency when I developed some really severe allergies that forced me to pivot. It turns out it's really hard to do much in veterinary medicine if you can't keep the skin on your hands and face. And so that's what took me out of clinical practice and forced a reinvent where I said, okay. I've always heard there's all these things you can do with the DVM that aren't clinical practice. (laughs) Now we got to sit down and get serious about figuring out what those are going to be. And so that took me to actually a bit of a pause in my career. I took about a a year where I didn't do a lot. I actually took a step back and explored some other things and took some time for recovery and then got back into it and figured out how I was going to become an industry vet. So that was all about 2015 into 2016 when I made that transition.
1: And this is a spot that I think the natural inkling is to ask. And again, if you're like, "Eh, that's a a part of life that I've tried to you know, just put a bow on it and leave it alone. But you work for so long to get to this point, you find your people, you do this thing. It would be no surprise to be like, yeah, life is over. I'm in a horrible place. And I'm sure it was a struggle, right? I think you'd be lying if you said, yeah, I knew it was all going to work out, right? I'm sure there were some dark days as you went through that. And was there anything that, not that it convinced you, but kept you within veterinary medicine? Because I'm, like you said, you kind of probably explored just saying, I got to get out of this thing. Like, this is just not for me. It's an obvious well, I, sign. I need to move."
2: It's interesting that you say that because when I first got sick and coming off of three pretty intense years of internship and residency, I was pretty much at the place where I was like, okay, well, this vision I had for this profession 10 years ago isn't working out. I'm done. Let's pretend I'm not a veterinarian anymore. I'm out. And it was dark days, and that's why I did step away for a bit. What kept me in it is actually I found people's willingness to help in unexpected places. I do what you, what a lot of folks do when they don't know where to go—they go home. And physically, that was here back in Cincinnati, where my family was, for personal support. But then professionally, I went home to Ohio State. I licked my wounds and I said, "All right, these people made me the veterinarian I am. Let's go see how they can help me reinvent." And I went up there. And I got involved, really heavily involved in admissions work. And then from there met some contacts and actually a professor, Dr. Jason Stahl, who is in the veterinary public health space and epidemiology, met him through doing admissions interviews for Ohio State. And he actually had a project he needed help. And he took a real vested interest in me, even though he hadn't known me as a student, and helped me get my feet back under me. And that one small project led to some other opportunities that I have with Clinicians Brief that ultimately led to a proper transition into industry where I am now am. So yeah, what kept me in it, honestly, was the people. That was people's willingness to reach out, even lend a helping hand, even if they didn't know me from before. And another side story is the story of Fiona the hippo. I can't ignore her impact. She and I are birthday twins. She was born on my birthday. But her critical care story, she was six weeks premature and she almost died. And fortunately, some nurses from Cincinnati Children's were able to go work with the veterinarians at the Cincinnati Zoo to get access, venous access for her. They had to do some advanced imaging to get that venous access that ultimately saved her life. And her story rekindled my interest in critical care medicine and said, you know, there is a lot to this profession. There are some really cool things. And even if it's not the way I intended, there's a lot to do still in vet med.
1: I think it's amazing when you kind of boil that down to that it was part of the people, because I've mentioned that so many times the podcast is part of why I've had such a a strong feeling of veterinary medicine. Personally, Is like, I just enjoy the people that are here. It's a great collection of of individuals that do great things. And that's pretty special. So thank you for sharing that. We fast forward to the DECRA role. So professional services veterinarian, layman's terms, how would you describe your role? And what does that look like from a day-to-day basis? Like, What does life for Jen today look like?
2: Yeah, well, today looks a little different than what a, what my day looks like uh, after,
1: day day. after
2: Labor Day and maybe uh, after the holidays come. But and that's, what I think, what's interesting. So a few months ago, there was a meme that floated around social media that said, poorly describe what you do for a living. And I always say, I sing and dance and I buy people dinner with other people's money. But there's a lot of truth, a lot of truth to what that is. I give a lot of presentations. I've given 85 presentations that I've kept track of since the end of August. So, in that 10 month period, that's a lot of presentations. So, that's a lot of singing and dancing and presenting in front of people. And so, then in terms of buying people dinner with other people's money, I do a lot of networking, I do a lot of interactions with fellow doctors. I do a lot of interactions with specialists. And because of that, there's a lot of we meet over lunch, we meet over dinner, we meet over coffee. And I get to share that time with them. And oftentimes, I feel like I'm connecting with friends, which is one of the again, getting back to the people part of this profession, one of the things I really love. But also, I get to pick their brains and they get to learn about new novel pharmaceuticals from me. So it's a win-win.
1: Yeah, I think you described it the first time we chatted as being You know, the veterinarian's veterinarian is that correct, or the doctor's doctor type thing? And I think that's an interesting way to think through it as well. Just being able to support where maybe truly physically you can't be there, but you can help make the impact on a lot of different pets and animals across the country, which is pretty cool.
2: There's a lot of truth to that, actually, and that's one of the things I loved training to be an anesthesiologist. Is my clients for the most part were other doctors in the hospital, and I very much have the same way. I'm an educational resource on. The drugs that Debra has, and so when they have a question about one of our products, they can reach out to me. If they need educational support on it for whatever reason, they come to me for that help. Sometimes we do case consultations too, which is it's a lot of fun to get back in that clinical mindset.
1: So you mentioned your original undergrad was history. Yep. What was the subject? I think I remember this, but I'm going to ask to make sure I don't embarrass myself.
2: I was a history major at Georgetown University, and I did a certificate program in Australia and New Zealand studies, which is just the kind of the, I think, like many folks who go to Washington at 18, it was a wide-eyed, you know, I'm going to go change the world. Mrs. Smith goes to Washington sort of moment there. So that's what kind of got me to Washington in the first place. And I had always had this passion for wanting to do research in the National Archives. I got to do some really cool research when I was in high school at the Cincinnati Museum Center. And The Voice of America, which is not very far from Cincinnati. And so those two things really inspired my interest in doing that kind of work in Washington. Then the Australian Studies bit of that was a classic liberal arts story of you take one class, you find it fascinating, so you take six more and then they give you a degree in it. So, just kind of random but it, it was actually really insightful cuz I got to learn about a part of the world where not a lot of people know about the history and the, the sociology and and the literature of that and the impact that it had and how it connects both with Asia and then even though it's a, a western country in a sort of non-western neighborhood. So,
1: sure. I won't embarrass myself with a lack of knowledge, but New Zealand has come up so much in recent conversations with people wanting to go there, big vacations, like the big bucket list trip. And it's always been a place in my mind that I'm like, that looks amazing. I want to go. Like, it looks incredible. So,
2: yeah, it was pretty interesting when I was doing some of my work with that. that I we're actually filming the Lord of the Rings down there. So, We were collaborating with some researchers and I think one of the professors I was working with cracked a joke that the researchers we were working with had been acquired by the hobbits (laughs) or something and disappeared. So
1: Big Lord of the Rings fan. So uh, yeah, the visuals and yeah, the landscape and just seeing some of the behind the scenes stuff of just what New Zealand had to offer is pretty cool. We'll pivot away from going too far down that rabbit hole. Tell me a little bit about the involvement with the American Association of Industry Veterinarians and A, kind of how you got connected there, what you do, and maybe the conversations that you all are having right now.
2: Yeah, great. I'd love to. So I got involved with the American Association of Industry Veterinarians. Initially, when I started looking around to make that transition to industry, that was somebody mentioned join this organization. But really, I got involved because when I got sick, I was looking for resources. I'd always heard You can become an industry vet. Well, what does that actually mean? How do you actually go about it? What do industry vets even do? So many people know that it's a thing, but they don't know what our day-to-day life actually looks like. And there weren't at the time, this is 2015, 2016, there weren't a ton of resources out there. Or if they were, they were held kind of anecdotally in some offices and some universities. And like I said, it was just this thing that was kind of out there, but not a lot of resources. And so When I joined DECRA, two of my colleagues, Dr. Tim Smaha and Dr. Pam Mitchell, were on the board of the American Association of Industry Vets. And I said, hey, you know, I'm really passionate about helping others. I got a hand up when I tried to make the transition. I would like to pay it forward. And they said, well, why don't you join the board? We've got this idea of this mentorship program, but nobody's really had time and energy to dedicate to it. And this is also the spring of 2020, (laughs) so where folks that uh, signed up for a job description that included 70% travel, all of a sudden, I wasn't going anywhere (laughs) and had some time to dedicate to this organization. And so I joined the board and at the time was a board member at large, but then uh, quickly joined the mentorship committee where we compiled a bunch of resources for aspiring industry veterinarians that kind of, here's a nice place to start. Here's some resources, some links, some webinars, podcasts, things like that. But also let's develop this mentorship program where we connect aspiring industry veterinarians with another experienced industry vet and let them help kind of guide their path forward into industry. And so that's what we've done. I took over the program as the leader of that program back in 2022. So a little bit more than a year now, I've been heading that program up and we really do have folks reach out to us and then they can email me and they can get connected with another mentor. And sometimes these are one or two conversation situations. Other times they're relationships that last many months. I'm quite proud. I've uh, helped at least three veterinarians land roles in industry. So that's been pretty exciting. Most of the time, that's going to be a professional services role when they, that's most people's first step, but not always. Some folks we've got, folks interested in research and development, we've got folks in regulatory affairs, we've got folks that are in pharmacovigilance, lots of different slices to it, but that's kind of how that program works. This year, I'm currently, in addition to managing the mentorship program, I'm actually secretary of the organization as well, so... Chief note taker and uh, cat herder, I would say.
1: If you can improve the health of an animal, you do it, right? Of course, that's what makes veterinarian special. You're mission driven. My friends at LifeLearn are the exact same way. For over 25 years, they've been partnering with you and your peers, providing affordable, customizable online software solutions. These solutions save time, increase efficiency and assist in managing all aspects of operations. Why? They want to help you improve your partnership with pet owners to improve pet health. LifeLearn has award winning digital media solutions and are leading the pack as they've prioritized having extensive veterinary knowledge throughout their teams. That difference is seen, it's heard, and it's read by thousands of people across the country. Relax, grow, and thrive with LifeLearn. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer to see how life learned can allow you to get back to what you do best. So if you had to think of like big, kind of broad suggestions, recommendations, as you've had these various different conversations for someone that is maybe thinking about that, like, shoot, how do I make that transition? Or how do I start to think about moving to an industry role? And again, unlike kind of where you had to make that shift because of some things outside of your control, For others, it might just be this is the right time or Mm -hmm. from a family dynamic or there's just all kinds of different reasons and rationale why people make that change. But what encouragement, advice and guidance would you give them to kind of think about?
2: That's a great question. And one we get all the time and I think people come to us for all those reasons you suggest I'm ready for a change. I've done clinical practice for as long as I wish to looking for what's next. I definitely encourage them to think about their why. And really be honest about their why, why they're wanting to make that move, because it's going to come up in interview conversations. It's making sure that this is going to be a better fit for you. Then in terms of other things I think about, I encourage them to think about what they want to do in industry. There are different slices. Professional services is the most common place to start. But that's not the only role that's possible And there are certainly some challenges that can come with professional services veterinarians. While I am home for a couple of months right now, come the fall, the 70% travel is no joke that a lot of weeks for 10, 15 weeks in a row, I will be traveling. I won't be gone every day, but I will be gone Tuesday to Thursday, Monday to Thursday of those weeks. So it certainly can be a lot of travel. And so that's always something I encourage folks to think about early in the process. Is that something that's going to work for their family? Is that going to actually be better for them? Do they like public speaking? (laughs) If you don't like public speaking, this is probably not a great job for you because that's what I do the most. And so, certainly, that's a big part of it and kind of getting them to really think critically about whether that's something that they would enjoy. And then, yeah, just some of the logistics of being really an educational expert on the drugs themselves and not having that patient interaction. Switching your clientele from whether working with pet owners as your clients and making that shift more to doctors being their clients. So those are some of the things I get them to think about. Further down the list, I would say relocation. The pandemic, I think, did a really wonderful thing and made us realize how much more we can do remotely and how much geography maybe doesn't matter as much as it did five or 10 years ago. But in order to open up the expander opportunities, that may be something that is considered it certainly can help speed the process along if relocation can be a possibility.
1: Yeah. And especially for one of the things you said is your end kind of client is now veterinarians, right? And so many people talk about, well, you know, I didn't come here for the people, right? And then if you go to an industry role, it's like the people are your peers that maybe you went up through school with or people around the same age. And so now if you're uh, getting frustrated by them, it's like, these are you, (laughs) this is who you were, right? A couple years ago, these are your peers. And I'm sure that's a Big shift, right? And it Mm -hmm. could be a really nice shift, but it could also be extremely challenging depending on kind of the role that you fall into. So it's interesting.
2: You can't ignore that. If you're really ready for something not so people y, maybe industry, at least in most conventional senses, may not be the slice for you.
1: The other thing I think of is you don't want people that are trying to run from a problem versus addressing it. And it's like you want to like this job, not just I hate this other job, so I gotta leave and I think industry is a way to escape it. Do you see that a lot? I would imagine (laughs) you do.
2: And that's why I always, when I take on a new mentee or pair someone with someone, I always try and find a little bit of information about them so I can get them a good match. My first question back to them is okay, you're looking to leave, usually small animal general practice. What's your why? And not what you're going to say in a job interview, but what's your real why? Let's get to the Mm -hmm. bottom of this to make sure this is a move that actually makes sense. Because certainly it will come up in a job interview, (laughs) but it also. Would never want someone to be equally unhappy in an industry role just because they're running from something instead of truly seeking out.
1: It makes you wonder a little bit around if you enjoy the work, but it's the place that's the problem. Maybe it's replacing that and you're still staying in a clinical role and it's, hey, there's lots of other opportunities, go look at that. And I would imagine that may be a good portion, but there could be a lot of people that are just like, hey, I'm intellectually, maybe I'm bored with where this is and I want a new challenge and I want to go try to do that. That's great. Okay let's talk about that. And they might miss some of the clinical stuff. And I want to kind of ask you when you think back of it, and I know you didn't have the, maybe the same prototypical career for someone that's moves into industry, but when you think about what is it that you maybe miss most about kind of the clinical side that you were like, that's the one thing or the couple things I do miss from time to time.
2: Yeah. So I'm one of the few that really would go back to clinical practice. If I could, I would go back tomorrow if I could. Most industry vets won't tell you that. Most will say, this is the best thing I've ever done. I'm thrilled. I never don't want to moonlight. I'm good. I'm happy where it's at. If I physically could tomorrow, Decker's great, but off I go. That's not my physical reality. So uh, don't worry. Keep my day job. So what do I miss about it? I miss being around the nerds of any multi-specialty referral hospital all day, every day, where my colleagues are way smarter than me (laughs) all the time. I I miss that challenge. I do miss the hands-on part. I absolutely do. I miss the tricky intubations. I miss the cases that go from super boring to not boring in an instant and the adrenaline rush that goes with. I miss teaching, but I get to do, instead of teaching students, I get to teach other veterinarians. Sometimes I get to teach students, but not very often that one-on-one and seeing the light bulb go off. I get to do that, but not as much on a minute-to-minute basis like I did in practice. So those are some of the things I miss.
1: Makes sense. But then you also get a very different viewpoint of the industry as a whole, right? Mm -hmm. With, With where you sit in the conversation that you have, because so many people, it's like, you're in your clinic, your hospital, your setting, and that's your world, where your world is all over the country, having lots of these conversations, right? The song and dance that you talked about earlier that you get to do, which is the presentation, the education. Has that changed the way that you look at veterinary medicine with those conversations? Have you learned additional things that you're like, huh? I don't know if I ever would have thought about it that way if I wasn't in a role like this.
2: The struggle that most general practitioners are having, I see it all over the country. It's not unique to the Cincinnati area. It's not unique to the Hudson Valley. It's not unique to rural Kentucky. Any of the places I go... The struggles seem to be real. Nobody seems to have enough staff. Clients are crazy <laughs> and challenging and sometimes wonderful as well. There's always that client that will bring you brownies and think you're the best doctor ever. And then there's the one that scribs at your receptionist so <laughs> for no good reason. And those struggles, I think, are similar. But I really do genuinely see the passion for improving medicine and for improving care for patients everywhere, which is nice. And people have different takes on it, for sure. Uh, An oncologist just outside of New York City is going to have a very different take on it than the solo practitioner in rural upstate New York, or the mixed animal practitioner somewhere in an hour west of Bowling Green, Kentucky, which is about as far in the middle of nowhere as I, I think I've been. But yeah, and so... Their take on it may be a little different, but they're still trying to do right by their patient and they want to know what's new and they want to know how they can leverage that to help those guys in whatever slice on the spectrum that they're going to be.
1: What's on your kind of mind or heart today that maybe I haven't asked about that you think is interesting, Would want to share, and it could be vet med related. It could be kind of the journey that you've had in overcoming different things, but anything top of mind?
2: As folks are are certainly thinking about maybe transitioning to a career in industry, as I think about the why, but think about the nitty gritty day to day. Can you handle that travel? Do you enjoy meeting different people every day? Because that's a big part of that slice. Can you get used to just being uncomfortable? Every day is a little bit different, but they're a lot the same, but there's always that difference. In terms of other things that are on my mind, never stop growing. And this is something I tell veterinary students all the time, you never quite know where your career is going to take you. And so just have an open mind and open ears and you know, always be willing to see what might be there and entertain the conversation. You know, often find that it may take you places you don't expect. And I've definitely heard that story from some folks that didn't intend to be industry vets, that it was just a conversation with a sales rep one day and here they are <laughs> and 10 years later into industry. So I'm just keeping an open mind about it and always being willing to learn. And when you don't know, phone a friend, right? That's to some degree how I ended up in industry and getting the hand up I needed was by phoning. I called everybody in my contact list and said, help, how do I do this? And whether it's managing a difficult case clinically, making a t- career transition, or even within industry, getting to the next role. Folks are pretty willing to listen and pretty willing to share their thoughts in veterinary medicine. And that's just one of the things I love about it. Kind of bringing us full circle back to where we started with the conversation about people and how yep. that really makes the profession.
1: So you talked about continuing to learn and grow and kind of challenge yourself. What does that look like for you? Is there anything that sticks out as far as a learning or something that you've kind of decided to dig into more for your career or something that you're working on?
2: So certainly from a continuing education standpoint, from the scientific standpoint, being very anesthesia focused before I got into industry, I've had to certainly strengthen my knowledge of internal medicine, but also dermatology. I had basically no background in dermatology (laughs) before I started with DECRA. And really that has become a a focus. And now just through continuing education, I've become quite comfortable with it. And so I think having that, again, that growth mindset. That way of like okay well this isn't what I planned but let's roll up our sleeves let's go and let's learn I think that's really interesting from a professional development standpoint and now that I've been in professional services roles for a little bit more than six years now both with Decra and then at Bettikino before then I have taken some focus on learning more about marketing I think that's a really interesting avenue that maybe I could pursue further down the road I kind of got my start at Clinicians Brief doing some content marketing work that way. And that may be something further down the road that uh, may come back into my career. We'll just kind of see. It's always retooling and being ready for the next step, even if that, even if it's right, not right in front of us. So.
1: so I let all guests ask questions. And I know you know me a little bit, but not super well, right? So, but yeah. you can, uh, any question, nothing's off topic. We can build on some of the conversation today. It can be something completely different. It can be a personal question. Any thoughts, any questions, any areas you want to ask me about?
2: Sure. You're talking to veterinarians every day. Where do you see them struggling the most? And where do you see the biggest opportunity for them?
1: I think opportunity for me, and I'm a little biased, but I still think the opportunity from a an equity and ownership perspective is very, very strong, even though there are people that have very strong opinions on both sides of that argument where it's going to go all one way or all another way, or this you know, is not sustainable, this or that. But to counter that, right, there's a huge opportunity. But I think whether it's veterinary medicine or it's you run a restaurant, you have a financial advisor business, you have a manufacturing company, finding good people and being able to retain good people is universally a problem just in society today. And so that will always be the biggest struggle. And I think if that's lifted from some of the veterinarians that are out there that are amazing owners and, and operators and clinicians, right? they would really, really probably want to do it longer and would love it more. But I think that burden of the HR and the people management internally with some things that are outside of their control, like you just can't control it. And you're just seeing where people are feeling the pinch and they're like, I have to go maximize the amount of money that I can make for my family. And sometimes it's outside of veterinary medicine. And so it's just kind of a, a difficult spot to be put in where you can say, I totally get it. And I want to help support you as much as possible. And you should go take that other role or you should go do that thing. And I think that makes it tricky. But yeah, from an opportunity perspective, it depends on where I'm at in my yeah. career. But I think, you know, if I've been a practice owner for quite a while, it's still a great time to look at opportunities to figure out how you transition that because it's mm-hmm. your biggest asset. It's probably the right. retirement thing that yeah. you're going to use. So you shouldn't feel demonized or bad if you do sell to a corporate offer, a corporate offer that's there. I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. If I'm a young veterinarian, a startup is probably super challenging, but you can have the ability to do some really cool things and do it differently and compete on a different level and still be wildly successful. And I've seen that. There's lots of really entrepreneurial veterinarians that are coming out. And then if I'm someone that's like, eh, I don't really like any of those ideas. I think it's trying to find a company that will allow you to maybe have the ownership that gives you the financial gain, not maybe the entrepreneurship owner model, right? But you can have some shares if you stay there over time in this larger organization. I think that's really interesting because you've seen that model work really well for those that have worked in tech for a long time,
2: Mm -hmm. right?
1: You're an employee, you're an employee number whatever at these big tech companies, and it's helped them build wealth. And I think within veterinary medicine, there's a lot of really cool things happening and you can go find a really good, solid corporate offering and be a great doctor and say, I'm going to work here for the next X amount of years, invest in equity of all your peers in that organization and, and really do well for yourself. So I think there's more options and avenues for veterinarians than what they know. And I think this conversation is another one, right? Like industry. I've yeah. not really had anyone come on and talk about those opportunities, but the same thing. There's industry roles where I know another industry veterinarian, it's like they get, stock options in the company they work for. And it's pretty darn lucrative for what their total compensation package is. If you compare it to others, they still like what they do and they really enjoy the role and that's what fits for them. So, And it's not, woe is me. I can't ever do the fun things. I can't live a lifestyle that's great because I'm a veterinarian and I have student loans. It's like, yeah, there's some challenges and I agree with that, but there is really, really cool opportunities out there regardless of how you want your career to look. So to me, I am very... Optimistic for what it looks like into the future. So,
2: I think I share that optimism too. Is that we may not always know what Plan A is going to be, or I think I'm on Plan C or D in in my life, yeah. and I'm looking forward to ENF. I think they could be even more fun than the things I've done. And yeah, it's as long as we're open to maybe not always the conventional path or the one that's right in front of us, and, and just kind of pushing to see what else is out there. It, it may come up with really
1: cool things. I think with your role, it's probably forced you to stretch yourself. And you talked about earlier, you have to be comfortable with public speaking. I'm going to guess, I don't know. Have you always been comfortable there? Or has that been a really big moment of just like pooling and stretching to make nope, it make nope, it? no.
2: nope. Anybody knows me from my younger days, especially uh, days as a resident. I was a pretty darn nervous public speaker. I did not enjoy it. Sweaty palms, the whole thing, stumbling over my words, all of that. So yeah, it was not something that came easily to me at all. You weren't a natural. No, it was a skill I knew I needed to develop and knew I needed to work on, but it was not something I would have necessarily picked. It was a, I got to figure out how to pay my bills. (laughs) And this seems to be the safest thing for my allergies. So let's go. Like, I know I can do this. So, (laughs) you know, roll up my sleeves and practice and a pretty good public speaker, but honestly talking to the computer for a year and a half during the pandemic, I gave lectures of many, many hundreds of people during the pandemic, and that was just talking to the computer. And once we got back in front of people in the summer of 21, I was like, oh, oh, I've got this Like, All right. One or
1: two or a handful. This is way easier.
2: (laughs) Right. Exactly. I'm like, they're just people. Okay. I'm the expert on this topic. I may not be the expert on all of veterinary medicine. But on my topic, I am the expert in the room. And uh, with that perspective in mind and some of the the coaching techniques I've been lucky enough to benefit from, it all comes together.
1: I love it. So let's give a handoff for folks that are listening. So if they wanted to reach out to the Association for Industry Veterinarians, we'll put in the, the URL. But is there anything specifically, a spot you would point people to to get more information there? I know you mentioned a couple different resources.
2: Yeah. Our website is the best, the Industry Vets website that Isaiah will put the link in for. And then uh, you can reach out to me directly as well. You can find me at jennifer.castin.decker.com. Happy to answer your questions that way. That's probably the best. Or you can reach out on LinkedIn. That's fine. Either of those and happy to answer questions. AEIV is also on LinkedIn and other social media platforms too. So happy to hear from you that way. We've got a lot of great resources. We encourage you to become a member. We've got some that are available for free, but even more behind our membership paywall. So
1: cool. And we've well, got I greatly appreciate lots of it.
2: webinars coming up in the fall that are networking for the introvert, things like that. So
1: cool. Thank you for the time. Really appreciate absolutely. it. I'll link to your LinkedIn. I'm going to make people have to listen to find your email. I don't like putting people's emails out just in yeah. case someone finds it and bams it. So they'll have to listen. They stay to the end. They get your email. They can do that, but really, really appreciate the time. Thank you all for listening. And Jen, thank you for the time, appreciate it.
2: Absolutely, have a good evening.
1: All right, so there are a lot of great job postings that I wanna get to. And so we're gonna start off with Bayside Hospital for Animals. Great work-life balance in beautiful Fort Walton Beach, Florida. No weekends, Monday to Friday, eight to five, no on-caller emergencies. It's appointment only here. Currently a two and a half doctor practice, new owner in 2021, bringing some fresh life into the hospital. The new owner had been there for six years prior working, so definitely understands the team, the processes, and the community. Lots of investment in people and new equipment. Prosal is the pay structure. Far too many benefits for me to list. Email BaysideVet251 at Yahoo or call 850-864-1857. Join a thriving, growing Small animal practice in Vermont on the Quebec border, full-time ideal, part-time is considered. The idea is to start with, yes, with the team, patients, and clients in outdoor women's paradise while uh, being able to practice high-quality medicine. Compensation is write your own structure within production capabilities. Literally, it is the owner wants to find the right person and is happy to negotiate, chat through, and find the right fit. If you want autonomy and a boss that enjoys teaching, reach out to Newport Veterinary Hospital. You can email newportveterinaryhospital at gmail.com. North Central Indiana, looking for an oasis in the chaos. Who isn't, right? Come join the amazing team at Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. They strive to foster a fun, fast-paced work environment while providing quality patient care. They utilize the support staff efficiently so that the doctor is available to practice medicine and do what you're trained to do in less time and paperwork, which is great. Lots of investment in new equipment and technology to support you full-time or part-time available. Small animal and exotics are both seen there, so no ER no on-call, no weekends, competitive salary with sign-on bonus offered and far too many benefits to list. Go to Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. So type that in and you'll find the job posting there. Last but not least, join Watertown Animal Hospital, personable, small animal veterinarian wanted for well-established current five doctor mixed animal practice in Northern New York, which is an outdoors person's paradise. Again, two of those. So if you like the outdoors, you can look at Vermont or New York. They have plenty of support staff with six CSRs, six licensed technicians, four animal caretakers, two technical assistants, hospital associate, or sorry, hospital assistant, a practice manager, and a bookkeeper. Focuses on mentorship and investment on the people and the technology. That's been a strategic initiative by the leadership team. No on-call, 24-hour ER less than an hour away. Salary-based on experience, but no less than 95,000. Can be straight salary, pro-sal considered. Want to discuss that with the right person. Tons of benefits, again, too much to list. Please reach out to Watertown petcare.com for that option as well. So again, if you find a role or a job or talk to anyone and it helps you in any way, I would love to hear that feedback. So please reach out, let me know what you're able to do. And I will continue to post these. So if you are an owner, reach out to me, let me know, and we'll go from there. And until I hit a capacity of, I can't keep recording these. I want to let people know who are high quality owners around the country looking for great help. So with that, we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should talk to your professional team before implementing anything. If you want or need financial advice, my day job and not podcasting is helping veterinarians grow their net worth. Our team is taking new clients and we are ready to talk to you at any stage of life. Come as you are. I always say, bring the mess, right? Like If things are unorganized, that's okay. There's no prerequisites to become a client. Isaiah Douglas is a partner at Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is a registered investment advisor, registered with the SEC. The biggest compliment you can give me in the podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcast is the platform that is predominantly used for people listening to the show. If you have three minutes, love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review. It helps more people find the show. Also, the new YouTube channel is up, and I'd love to have you subscribe. Vainly, I want 100 subscribers at least. Lots more, obviously, right? But I get a vanity URL if we get to 100. That would be great. It makes it easier to find the YouTube channel as well. For all of today's links, information, head over to the com. There you can subscribe to your favorite podcasting platform. It'll be a link to that YouTube channel I just talked about. You won't miss any other episodes. Whether you list on Spotify, whether you have some other ancillary podcast platform, please like, subscribe, all that stuff. It certainly does help. I appreciate it. Finally, if you want more information, insights, want your voice to be heard, want to share ideas for content, say, Hey, Isaiah, I want you to have this guest. I want you to talk about this topic. Go over to the Facebook group. So you can search for the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to veterinarysuccesspodcast.com. Scroll to the bottom about your host, click on the Facebook icon, and that'll get you in the group. But thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to me to be able to see the podcast grow and continue to impact people. So with that, until next time, we'll chat soon.